So yesterday, um, TCU played Vanderbilt in basketball, and um, uh, Dave and Pat Malone gave me their tickets, and they have really good tickets. They're like right on the court. So I told Clayton that I would take him to the game, and I was so excited. You know, my son and I would go and cheer for my alma mater, TCU, uh, in Memorial Gym, and Clayton came down the stairs with a big Vanderbilt T-shirt on. And that uh, turned out well for him. Um, just goes to show you, you don't have as much influence on your children as you might think, even at a young age. So this month, we have uh, been in a sermon series called Back to the Basics. And we're looking at core beliefs, and we're looking at the foundations of our faith. Last Sunday, we talked about Jesus, and I said how there is a big difference between knowing about Jesus versus actually knowing Jesus. Knowing about Jesus means that you know that he lived, you know that he taught, you know that he healed, and you know about his life. But knowing Jesus means that you have a relationship with him that changes your heart, that transforms your heart, and it's an ongoing relationship that is a lifelong journey. At the end of last week's sermon, I made the comment that Jesus Christ gives us a reason and a purpose to live. And I believe that. But what does that mean? He tells us what life is all about. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. You know, there have uh, been many, many books over the years, and in recent years, published on the subject of meaning and purpose. It's a question that drives me personally. It's a question that we all wrestle with at every stage of life. It doesn't matter how old or how young we might be. Uh, we ask questions like, why am I here? And what am I supposed to be doing? What really matters the most in life? What gives me meaning and drive? Thomas Merton once said, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with one another. Winston Churchill said, it's not enough to have lived. We should be determined to live for something. Charles Dickens said, the best way to lengthen out our days is to walk steadily and with a purpose. Emil Durkheim, life is said to be intolerable unless some reason for existing is involved. Some purpose justifying life's many trials. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that the purpose of life is not to be happy, it's to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and have lived well. Some of you may remember a uh, psychology class that you took in college or uh, in high school, perhaps even, where you studied about a guy by the name of Abraham Maslow. Maslow was an American psychologist who uh, lived back in the first part of the 20th century, but he became famous in 1943 when he published a paper identifying five basic categories of human need. Do you remember those categories? It's often diagrammed in a triangle with the, the, the most basic ones starting at the bottom. The, the basic level of human need is physiological. Uh, these are our needs for air, water, food, clothing, shelter. In other words, Physiological needs are what we need to just survive in life, the, the bare necessities. And then you move up one level to level two, and it's safety needs. And safety needs include physical, environmental, and emotional needs, job security and protection, financial security, uh, protection from animals, 
health, security, some of the things that we need in our lives to feel safe, to not live in fear all the time. Then you move up to the third level, and uh, Maslow said we have social needs. Social needs include the need for love, affection, care, belongingness, and friendship. It's our basic need for interaction with other people because we are social creatures. We are social beings. Then you move up, and you got the fourth level, esteem needs. And esteem needs are in two categories. There's internal esteem needs, like self-respect and confidence and competence, achievement and freedom. And then there are external esteem needs that come from other people, things like recognition and power and status, attention, admiration. We get this from other people, hopefully from our family members and friends. And then you go to the top of the pyramid, the top of the triangle, and you have the fifth category that he calls self-actualization needs, which includes our urge to become what we are capable of becoming, what we have the potential to become. It includes our need for growth and self-contentment. It also includes a desire for gaining more knowledge and creativity and social service. The self-actualization needs are never fully satisfied because as individuals, we should keep growing both psychologically and emotionally. And so that reminds us that this is a lifelong process. Now, what I'd like to say this morning is that once we move beyond levels one and two, the physiological needs and the safety needs, I think we are constantly searching for meaning and purpose in our lives, both internally and externally. And honestly, I don't think that that ever stops because there's always room for us to grow. So the question that we should ask as Christians, I think, is how does Jesus Christ help give us meaning and purpose? How does Jesus help us find the meaning and purpose that we're hungry for, that we long for? How does Jesus challenge us and inspire us to reach our full potential? Our gospel reading today, taken from Matthew, Jesus starts to answer this, and he's talking to his disciples. This is what it means to follow him. He says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them, he says, to gain the whole world, but forfeit their life or forfeit their soul in a different translation? Or what can they give in return for their life? Now, there are countless examples of people in our culture who have gained the whole world, but who forfeited their life. People who have achieved incredible success and fame and wealth by the standards of this world, but who threw it away because of dumb decisions. Now, you can think of some names here. Bernie, Bernie I said Bernie Sanders. Bernie Madoff. <laughs> Need to recover from that for a minute. Bernie Madoff. You call that a Freudian slip? Bernie Madoff, Tiger Woods, Bill Cosby. But the tabloids like to write about these people, but what I'd like to focus on are some more kind of practical, everyday type situations. 
Like the father who's never home to play ball with his son because he's always at the office working on a new deal of some sort. Or the friend who's never there for you unless he or she needs something. They're more interested in, in, in taking and not giving. The businessman who travels all the time. He's away from his wife and he runs into a good-looking woman at a hotel bar and he thinks, ah, nobody will ever find out about this. The wife who feels neglected and so she starts to drink a lot during the day, wine, vodka, and then she goes to pick up the kids from school and she really has no business being behind the wheel of a car. The son who inherits a, a, a trust fund, a large trust fund, and thinks there's really no reason for me to work. And so he, he buys one toy after the next, after the next, but none of them satisfy, so he just keeps buying them. The daughter who's not loved or hugged by her parents, and so she turns to any boy who will pay attention to her to get what she never got at home. There are lots of ordinary examples of people doing things in life because they lack meaning and purpose. Decisions can be made in a moment's time that can ruin things that we've worked hard to build. And so Jesus says, what does it profit you to gain the whole world but forfeit your life? You know, sometimes it's people who are in the best of positions who can make the largest mistakes, ones that have devastating consequences. And nobody is perfect in life. We all know that. But we must realize that if we don't have meaning and purpose, then we can be led astray. And sometimes you just don't know that you have a good thing in life until it's gone. Albert Einstein was one of the world's most brilliant thinkers and scientists. He taught at Princeton, became famous for his contribution to the scientific community, especially for his theory of rel relativity. But very few know that if you read some of Einstein's works, you'll find that he often reflected, he often reflected on the meaning and purpose of life and what it's all about. In a collection of essays called The World as I See It, Einstein says, what is the meaning of human life? Or for that matter, the life of any creature? To know an answer to this question means to be religious. You ask, does it make any sense then to pose this question? I answer, the man who regards his own life and that of his fellow creatures as meaningless is not merely unhappy, but hardly fit for life. Einstein also said, science without religion is lame and religion without science is blind. Think about that. Some of the smartest people in history have come back to this question, what is it? that gives me meaning and purpose. How can I find meaning? How can I be fulfilled? I believe that some of the, the best words for guidance actually can be found in the Bible. And I don't say that just because I'm a preacher. I say that because if you read the Bible, you will find that answers to this question appear throughout the entire canon. Paul writes to the Romans, Romans 12, let love be genuine. And hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers, bless 
those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that's not a bad description for what a life of meaning and purpose should look like, what a Christian life should look like. But I began this sermon by saying that, that, that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us our meaning and purpose. And so what I want to do today is conclude with four statements by him that I believe can guide us in our everyday decisions and choices. The first one is this. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And of course, the answer is no, we can't. You know, as human beings, we worry about so many different things that could or that might come to pass, and usually they don't. And when we worry, what we're doing is we're ruining the present moment. We're ruining the only moment that we have. Henry Nouwen says it this way, as long as our sense of self depends on what other people think about us and say about us and how they respond to us, we become prisoners of the interpersonal of clinging to each other in a search for identity. We are no longer free, but fearful. During Lent, we're going to do a sermon series called Unafraid, because I have become convinced that fear is and has been and continues to be the defining challenge of our age. Fear and its evil twin anxiety. And so we're going to talk about that and talk about the different ways that Jesus gives us the courage and the ability and the fortitude to face and to overcome fear. Second statement. Jesus says this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Actually, let me say that again. He says, in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Can you imagine what the world would be like if more people could operate with that mindset? Can you imagine how some people would change if they could be on the receiving end of their own behavior? It's such a simple concept, but when you look at it, some people ignore the golden rule. And they behave one way, but they expect people to treat them another way. And so it becomes clear that the golden rule is not golden for everybody, or at least it's not golden for everybody all the time. Third saying, Jesus says to his disciples when they're asking about who is the greatest in the kingdom, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Megan and I have three children. We love them dearly. Children are trusting. They have not yet been burned by the ways of the world. If you tell them something, they believe it. They might ask you a question, but they simply do not have the skepticism, the cynicism, and the doubt that most adults have. Children experience joy in the little things. Life to them is a great adventure, and it's not a burden. They've yet to develop an ego that gets in their way. This is what Jesus was talking about. To experience the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a little child. 
the same mindset, the same attributes. And the last phrase I'll leave you with from John's gospel, one of my favorites and challenging. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. We have to find a way to distance ourselves from the noise and the chaos of the world. And yes, that includes the busyness. It was Socrates that said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. It's not that we become indifferent and we don't care, even though some will resort to that. It's that we must realize that we cannot count on the external things to bring us inner peace. That's a choice we have to make. Nowen says one of the most depressing aspects of contemporary life is the almost complete absence of silence in our culture. I wonder if the word of God can really be received in the center of our hearts if our constant chatter and noise and electronic interactions keep blocking the way of the heart. That's what Henry Nowen says. Peace is something that we must seek. It's something that we must work for. It's something that we will not just experience out of the blue on our own. We have to be intentional about it. We have to make it a priority. We have to detach. We have to breathe. We have to reflect. And we have to be in the presence of God, even when everything around us seems like it's crazy and spinning out of control. These words of Christ are timeless, and we know these words, but do we reflect upon them, and do we apply them as we live from day to day? They'll give us meaning and purpose. Let me close with the words of St. Francis, one of the best prayers I know. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.